that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think together as we meditate on your word for us today. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who came into this world as a baby at Bethlehem, who gave his life on the cross for us, conquering sin and death so that we might be restored in our relationship with you. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, this year during Advent, we are working our way through these four different words of Advent. And we're to the third week in Advent, the Joy Week. And the reason this is the week of joy is because this is the week where we always tell Mary's story. How the angel came to her and told her she was going to give birth to this Messiah, this this, um, little boy named Jesus who would be the Savior of his people. And, uh, and we heard this morning in our reading that after she heard that from the angel, she went immediately to visit her, her, her aunt Elizabeth, and there she um, heard that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, we later, later knew him to be John the Baptist, just leapt with joy, we're told, in Jesus' presence. And then Mary herself, in these words we call the Magnificat, she declared that her soul rejoices in God her Savior. That's where this concept of joy for the third week in Advent comes from. But before I talk about that more, I want to tell you this morning the story of three churches, or, uh, or, or maybe I should say three houses of worship, as you'll see, that may be a, a little more accurate. And the first church I want to tell you about this morning is this church. It's the Church of the Annunciation, and it is in Nazareth. In fact, it's built on the exact site, we believe, where that angel appeared to Mary. There is a first century house, a very humble first century house, uh, underneath that church. And, uh, and uh, there's signs that very early, within the first century, Christians were worshiping there and venerating that site as the site where the angel appeared to Mary. There's a, a third century church there, a Byzantine Roman church there on that site. There uh, is a crusader church that was built there in around 1100. And then on top of all of that is this beautiful white basilica that was built there in 1969 on that site. It is the largest worship space in the Middle East. It's huge. And uh, for many, many years, they used to broadcast on Christmas Eve during the day the Christmas Eve service that happened there inside this basilica. But they don't broadcast it anymore. You know why? There's almost no one there. You see, the reality is, in places like Nazareth, where Jesus actually uh, was raised, there are very few Christians left in the Holy Land. For many, many years now, Christians have been leaving the Holy Land in droves, and, and uh, Nazareth is primarily a Muslim village with very few Christians, and if there weren't tourists there on Christmas Eve, there would be only a handful of people worshiping there in this church. So think about that for a minute. This incredibly huge, beautiful house of worship is mainly just a tourist site. No real worship, or very little real worship, happens there at all. I'm going to tell you about a second church. This is the cathedral, cathedral in downtown Oslo. 
Now, uh, as I said before, uh, Norway is primarily known as a Christian nation. In fact, a Lutheran nation. Lutheran is the official religion of Norway. In fact, everybody's tax dollars go to fund the Lutheran Church uh, of Norway. And in fact, uh, um, there are literally you know, hundreds of churches around Norway that are funded by that state church. This is the foremost of them there in the capital of Oslo. It's a huge, beautiful cathedral. In fact, it's the third cathedral that has sat on this site. The first one was built in 1200, and, uh, and after that, eventually it burned down in the early 1600s, and so it was rebuilt in the early 1600s. That one was only there about 50 years when it too burned down, and then finally in 1692, this church, the foundation stone was laid, and it is still there today. Again, it is a beautiful place of worship. It's just gorgeous on the inside. I had a chance to visit it um, when I was there in Norway a number of years ago. It's just stunning. It's fantastic. You know what the average worship attendance is there on a Sunday morning? 22. There are 38 staff members of that church. Even the staff doesn't go to church on Sunday mornings there. See, the fact is, even though there are 5.3 million Norwegians... And 3.7 million of them, 70% of them, say they are Lutheran. The reality is only 3% of them go to church. And in fact, the average Norwegian will be in church four times in his life. Uh, they will be there for their baptism because everyone gets their children baptized. It's just what you do. It is their ritual. It is their tradition. They will be there when they turn 12 or 13 for their confirmation. Again, everybody in Norway gets confirmed. It's just the ritual. It's what you do. They will be there for their weddings. Still, most of the weddings in Norway are in the state churches. And they will be there for their funeral. And that's it. All throughout Norway, you have these beautiful houses of worship. And yet, people rarely go there. Here's a third church. Well, like I said before, maybe house of worship is a better way to describe it. This is the temple and what it probably looked like in Jesus' day. Now, it was the second temple to stand on this site. The first one was built there by Solomon many, many years before. Um, and in Jesus' day, they had rebuilt the temple when they came out of exile, but then Herod decided it needed to be rebuilt even further. So in some ways, this could be called the third temple there. Herod had begun building this temple a little more than 40 years uh, before Jesus appears there as a man and begins his ministry. And in Jesus' day, literally thousands and thousands of people, pilgrims from all over Israel, would come to the temple on the high festivals like Passover. In fact, we're told in Luke's gospel about Jesus and his family making one of those pilgrimages. There in the temple, every day there were sacrifices. There were uh, animals being bought and sold for those sacrifices. There were money changers changing the coins so that you could pay your temple tax using the appropriate currency. It was a, a bustling uh, place of uh, activity. In the Holy of Holies, they had what they called the foundation stone. And they believed it was the stone on which God had laid out the clay to form Adam's body to first breathe life into him. They believed it was the stone that, uh, that, that Cain and Abel had made their sacrifices on. They believed it was the stone that Mo Noah had offered an offering to God after the flood. They believed it was the stone where Abraham had bound Isaac and laid him on that stone before God uh, rescued him and provided a better sacrifice. They believed it was the stone that Jacob had laid his head on when he had 
had had his dream seeing angels ascending and descending on that place. They believed it was pretty special. And yet, Jesus said this about them. He said, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. In other words, Jesus said that temple, it looks beautiful on the outside, but nothing is really happening on the inside. Sound familiar? The church in Oslo, beautiful on the outside, nothing really happening on the inside. The church in Nazareth, the church of the Annunciation, beautiful on the outside, nothing really happening on the inside. Here's the problem, folks. For so many people in Norway, in Israel back in Jesus' day, and in the Israel today, religion is all about ritual instead of about relationship. And it's the challenge we all have to ask ourselves as well when we think about our own religion. Is it really just about ritual? Is it really just about doing the things that we're supposed to do? Or is there something deeper going on? Is it about relationship? Now, I want to make sure you understand me clearly. I'm not saying that traditions or rituals are bad. Especially this time of year, right? Because we all have those rituals and traditions, those things that we have to do because it's Christmas, right? Uh, let me tell you about a favorite ritual or tradition of mine. Um, we started this the year after I got out of seminary. And, uh, and, and what we did is that first Christmas that I was a pastor and had all the Christmas services, that evening I came home and, and uh, we had a, a little newborn baby that year. And, uh, and, and so we made a fire in the fireplace and we got out a bottle of wine and, uh, and some cheese and crackers, and we just kind of took a little time in the midst of the hectic season to just, to just relax and just to be together. And we've done that every year since then. The fire in the fireplace, the wine and the cheese, and just a chance to be together. The only thing that's changed is Christians drinking the wine with us now, which uh, <laughs> is a little unsettling, but uh, yeah. yeah. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with traditions or rituals. But see, the point is rituals have a purpose, and that ritual is to point you to the relationship. And, and as long as our rituals and traditions do that, as long as they point us to a deeper reality, then they have value and meaning and purpose. But all too often, as is happening in Oslo, as is happening in places in the Holy Land, and maybe even happening here in America and in our homes and in our lives, our rituals can become the thing in and of themselves. And there's really nothing there. Isaiah had a tradition, a ritual, if you will, a, a prophecy we often describe it as. He pointed to events in his day, and he said that event really is pointing to something deeper. It's pointing to something with more meaning. And he pointed uh, to a young woman who gave birth to a child in his day, and he said, in a day coming, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. It will be a virgin this time, and she will conceive, and she will give birth to a son, and she is going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was a sign that Isaiah pointed to, pointing to a deeper reality. And in our gospel reading this morning, we heard that reality become 
become real before their eyes. As the angel comes to Mary and he tells Mary, that promised child is going to be your child. You are going to give birth and you are going to have a son and he will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. And Mary believed what the angel said. And look at what she said. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. She says, I have joy now because I know that God has helped his servant Israel. He has remembered to be merciful to Abraham. He has kept the promises he made. The rituals of the Old Testament point to a reality that is coming true in my life, Mary said, with the birth of this amazing child. In Jesus' day, folks, there were so many rituals there in the temple. And, uh, and all of them pointed to Jesus. From, from the sacrifices that they would do on the Day of Atonement, from the perfect lamb that they would bring for other sacrifices, even the priest's garments themselves were designed in such a way to point to Jesus, but they had forgotten all of that. All the rituals, in, instead of pointing to the Savior who was to come, had become the end in and of themselves. And that's all it was. So they missed when Jesus came. Now, folks, the Lutheran Church in Norway is our mission partner that we are celebrating this week. And, uh, and they are seeking to change that, that reality of ritual being ritual in and of itself in Norway. Many, many years ago, Torkild Mosvi became a friend of mine and, and, and really a friend of our congregation. He lived here in the area. He was here in the United States and, uh, and he told the story of churches in Norway that would be empty on Sunday morning and, and people's lives, even though they claimed to be Christians, were lacking a relationship with Jesus. And at one point he had a decision to make. Was he going to stay here in this country or was he going to go back to Norway and try to change the tide of, of ritual that was happening in his country? And he decided to go back, and we and a few other congregations have had a chance to support the work there in Norway, and I want you to hear more about it from Torkel himself. Let's listen. Our goal is to establish congregations around Norway so the majority of Norwegians can be a part of a church or one of our churches within drive of one hour and a half. Everyone has to be willing to drive to reach us. There are remote areas it's very hard to reach and those areas we can reach by live streaming of our worship services. We today have five congregations and a startup. We have a clergy of five active and we have the only pastor training program outside Church of Norway. We are deeply thankful that you were willing to stand with us during these years. Others Lutheran groups have been in Norway for 150 years. Not any one of them have any program running for start for pastor training. Because if you have pastors trained, there is a future. And we also have to train our kids to tithe. If my children don't learn to tithe, there will never be a church for my grandchildren. So the things with the Messiah Church that uh, draw me closer to it or get me interesting, uh, interested in it was the pastors that, that took care of me and that they really wanted to walk the steps with me. And they, 
really cared if I was attending to church or not. They, they kind of took their pastoral, I don't know how, what you can call it, but their pastoral work seriously. It was, it really meant something for them that I was there and that I attended to the church and for my faith. And they would walk me through these processes and help me with my questions. The reason why we chose to stay there was that they had a great love for their neighbor and for God. And um, we had truly found a home in Messiahshik in a place where we are grown in our faith. Of the current initiatives we now have, I would like to mention Olsen. That's a city on the west coast of Norway. It's a city where we just have a handful of people, not enough to start a congregation, a mission site. But there are a number of Latvian foreign workers. The Latvians are to a large degree Lutherans, members of a Lutheran sister church, a sister church for the LCMS and for us in Latvia. They're, they don't go to church. There is no church for them. So we said, what, let us try something we don't know if there was ever done in church history. To make a church that is Norwegian language with Norwegian liturgy one Sunday and a Latvian worship service next Sunday, alternating. We have different languages and the liturgy is different. So we're struggling. I've, uh, I've shared it with your mission committee, how we were thinking of reducing and closing down perhaps the effort. Few days before I met your mission committee, I got a text message from the Latvian pastor going to have a worship service in Olesund saying, the coming Sunday we will have 12 baptisms and four confirmations. And I said to your mission board, wow, we cannot close down this effort. But still, we are struggling. It's not a success and it's not a failure. We don't know how it's going. But we are very thankful that your church is willing to stand with us and provide us the seed money, the, the, the resources we need in order to make it happen and try it. So we will report to you how it's going and we will start up new sites with the help of uh, different churches around the world. And your church has been so faithful to us. And we are very, very thankful for what your church is doing with us. Thank you. So the Lutheran Church in Norway is really nothing but ritual. And uh, Torkeld and the pastors there are seeking to start new churches that are all about relationship, that are all about sharing God's love and helping people get connected to that love. I mean, you know, you can, you can monkey around with the sacraments all you want, but if they're not pointing to Jesus... They're not really doing anything. But here's my question for you this morning. What about you? What about your Christmas traditions? I mean, as you think about those things that you want to make sure that you do this Christmas, are those things in and of themselves really going to bring you joy? I mean, you know, when you gather together for your holiday party on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with, with family and friends, and is it, is it all about the good food and maybe getting a little lit up like the Christmas tree? Or, or are the relationships reminding you of the relationship we have with our God and how Jesus came to restore us in that relationship and share his love with us so that we could share that love with others? Or when you uh, open your Christmas presents, by the way, let's see, what's your tradition Christmas Eve? Christmas Day? 
Yeah, when, when you do that, when you open those presents, is it all about getting good stuff? Or are those presents just a way of remembering the greatest gift of all, the gift that we have all been given in Jesus? Folks, it can become so easy for our Christmas traditions, for our rituals, to be the thing we look forward to at Christmas most of all. It can become so easy for us to put our sense of hope and peace and, yes, even joy in those traditions. But in and of themselves, those traditions, they're going to change. They're going to let us down if they don't point to a deeper reality And that is our relationship with Jesus because, folks, it is our relationship with Jesus that truly brings us joy, not the Christmas season in and of itself. It is our relationship with Jesus that truly brings us hope, not the presence that we receive. It is our relationship with Jesus that brings us peace in the midst of a world that gets, I don't know what you think, but scarier and scarier to me. So that's the challenge, isn't it? To remember the most important message of Christmas is all is, for unto us a child is born. A child who is the true hope of the world. I'm so thankful that we are a church that knows and understands that, that that is careful that our rituals point to our relationship with Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we get to be part of the work that's happening with, uh, as they call it, Messias Kirsch. Christ's church in Norway. I pray that God will bless you as you seek Jesus in your traditions, in your rituals this Christmas season and find joy in him. Amen.